But this morning, I want you to think about one of the strangest things you've been accused of. Have you ever been accused of anything strange? For me, I probably the strangest thing I was ever accused of was stealing air. Has anyone ever stole air here? It all started back in... <laughs> we're going to get out of here in time, for, trust me. But I was a part of a company that divided. And the company split off and formed this and formed this other company. And it was kind of weird because the the people in the two companies, though it was a, a nice, uh, uh, happy divide, I don't know what they got upset with each other, but they got upset with all sorts of things, maybe what employees went where or whatever the case was. And so I went with the new company and I get a, a message from my old boss. And my boss, she is mad. I was about to say she is hot, but that's just a, she, she's mad. She's mad. And she says, Lane Brown, I know you stole the five cans of air in my, in my, uh, in my desk. And, and I guess because I helped her pack her stuff. And, and I guess she's talking about compressed air, but she, the whole time she's, I know you have that air and I want that air back. And I was getting a little nervous. I was like, I didn't take any air. I don't know what she's even talking about. And so I get, I get really scared. Go to my new boss, and I'm like, Hey, uh, listen to this uh, this voicemail that that uh, my old boss left uh, left me. And she listens to it. She starts laughing. I said, Look, I did not take her air. <laughs> and she, my new boss says, I don't care if you took compress. I don't care if you took air. It's air. It's not a big deal. Sometimes when we have these big divides, whether it's a company, that's kind of a silly story and fun. But if you have a division in your family, that's not as fun. That's not as, as, as much as something we can joke about. When we have a division in our country, that's not fun. That's not something that we can sit up and, and happily joke about. It's hard. It's stressful. And so today, we're going to talk about this division that's happened back in Jesus' time. And it actually happened way before Jesus uh, came on, on the scene physically here on this earth. It was a division between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And the Samaritans and the Jewish people, their, their division started way, way before when Jesus was born in a manger here. Matter of fact, you can probably see the roots of this divide happening right after King Solomon. And King Solomon, he, the, him and David and Saul, they had a united kingdom of Israel. And even before the kings, the, all of Israel was united. But after Solomon, Solomon's sons split the kingdom. And you had a northern kingdom and you had a southern kingdom. You can advance that over to, to that little slide. But you have these two kingdoms. And they started having they started uh not not working well together. Matter of fact, they lived on their own and they had two different kings, and both of them had evil kings. The southern kingdom at least had a good king almost every time they had an evil king. And the evil king led them away in the eyes of the Lord, but the northern kingdom was just an evil king over and over and over again in the sight of the Lord. And God tells them that if they don't get their, their act straight, if they don't come back to Him, He's going to have them sent out to exile. 
And sure enough, God kept his word and, and, and two different nations came. And the Assyrians came to the north and they put the Israelites in exile. And the Babylonians came to the south and they put the, put the, the, the people in Judah in exile. When they put them in an exile, what they did is they took a lot of their people and they took them off to foreign lands. But they did leave some of them there. There were some there, but what they did is they would bring in new people, Gentiles, into, these, into these, this land of Israel. And, it would, and they were supposed to mix with the people. And God told them not to intermarry. And it really wasn't as much of a race issue. The, 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 matter of fact, at that time, race wasn't really sought after or, or something that they struggled with. Race even was more like kind of the different colors of hair. But they did struggle with different nations, and they did struggle with different cultures, and they did struggle with people serving different gods, and that's what God was worried about. Because he knew whenever they had people that served different gods come in, they were going to change who God was. Or change at least what they thought who God was. And so in this, in this uh, the Israelites in the north, they intermarried with all the people that came in. And the people that came into there, the Gentiles that came in, they chose because of their superstition to believe in the God of Israel. And they had their capital up in Samaria. And so they believed in the God of Israel, but they twisted the words of the God of Israel. And they said that the God of Israel was to dwell in his holy place in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. But God and his temple was in the south. In the south. And that's where his temple was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was in Judah, in Jerusalem. And so you had two different people that believed that their God was the legitimate God and, and the other one was the illegitimate God. And so this caused a struggle. And we might remember the story of Nehemiah when he comes back to Jerusalem to build the wall. And who comes down and bothers him? I always thought it was people from a different nation, but it was actually Sanballat, who was the governor of the Samarians. The, he was a Samaritan. And so he was an Israelite. And he tried to stop them from building the walls to protect themselves in Jerusalem. And so you had this, this fighting that, that the people of the north were trying to rule the people of the south and trying to stop what was going on. And that caused a lot of tension. We'll move forward a couple hundred years, and then you have Alexander the Great. Y'all probably heard about him in history, and Alexander the Great comes to conquer the world and he believes in the Greek gods. And he tells them they need to put uh, in their temple Zeus. And they need to make their temple for Zeus. And the people in the north didn't want to cause too many problems with Alexander the Great. They saw he was conquering everything. And so they allowed their temple to be desecrated with the name of Zeus. The people in the south, they said no. We're not going to have that. And if you read some of the inner books between the Old and New Testament called the Apocrypha, you can see a story of the Maccabees. And the Maccabees cleansed the temple, made sure that it was, it was clean and that, that, that God was not replaced by a fake god, Zeus. 
And the people in the south got upset, and so they go up to north, and whenever there was between the Roman Empire and and the Greek Empire, there was some free time, and the Jewish ruler went and up to the north, up to Samaria, and he destroyed the northern temple. And the Samaritans didn't like that so much, so they come back in, in, in response. And they know all the Galileans are coming down from the north, down to Jerusalem for Passover. And so there was a big massacre of the, of the Judeans. And then they take their bones and spread it all over the temple of the southern kingdom. This family is now fighting. And each year it just gets worse and worse and worse. And now they want nothing to do with each other. It was a broken family. A divided family. A family that tried to destroy one another. And that is the situation that Jesus walks into. And Jesus is uh, coming back from Passover. And He's going back to His home in Galilee. And that's where John chapter 4 starts in verse 4. And that's where we'll be today in John chapter 4. It says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. It says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And there were other routes to go back home. Samaria was the shortest route. Matter of fact, that's probably the route that Jesus typically took. But sometimes you saw Jesus go where a lot of Jews went. And they went up the, uh, up the Jordan River to avoid Samaria altogether. As, you, as I told you, there was once a massacre as people were coming down through Samaria. So a lot of times they would avoid it, but Jesus said, I had to go through Samaria. And maybe he wanted to go the shortest route, but I really think that he had to go through Samaria because Jesus had an appointment with somebody. That person didn't know that they had an appointment with Jesus, but it was going to be at noon at Jacob's well that Jesus knew he had to fix this broken family. He had to fix the life of this broken woman. And he knew she was going to be there as the sun's the highest in the sky, the sixth hour of the day, noon. And so Jesus sits at this well, and He sees this woman. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to Him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you sit and ask me for a drink? As we just told you, for Jews, did not, did not associate with Samaritans. How could you ask me for a drink? You're a, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. What you see here is Jesus trying to break the barriers of culture, nationalism, religion, racial divides. Jesus is trying to to break that barrier because He's thirsty. And I'm sure Jesus might want a cold cup of water after His long journey. But what is Jesus really thirsty for? 
He'll tell us on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus thirsts for righteousness. Jesus thirsts to do the will of His Father. And what He really is thirsty for is to be able to talk to this woman and tell her about the God. The true God of Israel. The Samaritans believed that, that the true God of Israel, the God of Abraham, was going to send a prophet Moses, like, like, like that of Moses and the people of Judea, the southern Israelites. They believed that God was going to send a king from the throne of David. So both of them are waiting for some sort of Messiah. And Jesus tells her, if you knew the gift God of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Jesus is breaking down these barriers. And He's saying, if you know who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked Him for living water. And He would have given it to you. What Jesus is doing here is opening it up not just for the people of Israel, not just for the people He loves, but for people of all races, all nations, all religions, those that want to come to Him and put their faith in Him. If they want to come and know Him, He can give them living water. He can change their life. So the woman, she doesn't know Jesus. And she answers Him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She's still living on what she knows and who she knows about God, but who she knows about God is so limited. And it's messed up. And she's heard the wrong things about God. And so she wants to change or she doesn't, she doesn't quite believe, and He wants to change what she knows about Him and what she knows about God. And He wants her to be able to see who she is or who He is. And Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks the water, this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone who drinks this water is going to thirst again. Jesus is trying to offer her something that how she's living is never going to quench her thirst. She is continuing, she will continue to thirst again. She is going to live a life that's broken, a life separated from a God, a life where there's no hope. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering you hope right now. And so she looks at Jesus and she answers him. She says, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus is offering her eternal life. He's offering to change her life. But she's still thinking so small. So often we come to Jesus and we think so small. We want so little from Him. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus, can you just help me pass this test? 
or help me in this while I'm in the hospital and, and be with this person or that person. And sometimes that's so small. And what Christ wants us to know is we can have eternal life. We can live life with him forever. We can have the we can have true hope in this world. Our life can fully be changed, but sometimes we look at Jesus and we just want something so small, and he's wanting to offer us something so great. But Jesus knows us. He knows our big struggles in life. And so Jesus, I don't think that He comes at her in in a condemning way. But He wants her to know that He sees her who she is. And He sees what her true problems are in life. And He wants to offer her hope from these problems. And He tells her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And what we can take from here is probably a lot of uh, assumptions on our part. Probably, maybe, this woman keeps on going through all sorts of different men, divorcing them, and now she's living with a man. Maybe she's a very promiscuous woman. Or maybe she was a widow five times. And there's no one there to take care of her except maybe this this one guy, but he won't marry her. Well, probably it's probably a little bit of both that, that, that she is in these bad relationships with bad men that, that throw her away and divorce her. We don't know what her situation is, but it is what's eating her up inside. It is why she comes to this to this well at at the, where the sun is highest in the sky and it's hot and she's by herself because she's an outcast in this society. Her real problem in this world is she is an outcast and she has no hope. And Jesus sees that and He tells her, go get your husband. Why? He wants her to know that He knows everything about her life. And He still wants to offer her this living water. He still wants to offer her a better life. It's interesting, there was no condemnation on Jesus' part, but He does know her. And He still wants to offer her this. This changed her life. And so what does she do? She wants to lean in and get to know who this Jesus is a little bit more. And the more we learn a little bit about Christ, hopefully we act like this woman and we want to learn a little bit more from her. And I thought for so long that maybe she was just sitting here trying to have an argument with Jesus. But after reading this text a little bit more, I think she's wanting to know more about who God is. And so in verse 19, it says, Sir, I can see that you're a great prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, there is a time coming when you will not worship, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans... Worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet there is a time that is coming and has now come when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and they will and they are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. The Samaritans believed that worship was supposed to happen on this mountain. That's where they built their temple. 
And the Jews believed, rightly so, that they were supposed to be worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is telling them, you were wrong here, but the things that the people are telling you is also not fully correct. There's more to the story. And there is a time that you'll not have to worship on that mountain. There will not be any worship in the temple because there will be worship in spirit and truth. Because spirit, those of us that have living water, those of us that have given our lives to Christ, that have been baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection, now have God living within us. And we can worship in spirit and truth. doesn't matter where we are. If you're on Facebook with us today, you can worship in spirit and truth. If you're here in this, in this auditorium, you can worship in spirit and truth. But what is spirit and truth? You're worshiping as God's people. And I think it's good for us to be here in a church. If you're at home because of the times that we're living in, I think that's fine. Because you can worship in spirit and truth, but if you're home just because your pajamas are a lot more comfortable and you don't want to be around people, maybe that's not worshiping in spirit and truth. We need to worship God and not just come here because we're guilty, we feel guilty like Chris said, but we come here because we want to be with God's people and we want to worship Him because He knows us. He shines light on the deepest, darkest parts of our life. And He still says, come and be part of me. That's the God we have. So what's the woman do? She's excited because she's met this great prophet. And so she wants to know a little bit more. She says, it says, God is spirit and truth, and his worshipers must worship God in spirit and truth. And the woman says, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus looks at her and says, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. And he doesn't just use these words casually because what he tells them, and if you remember back in in the spring, I did a story of G, or did a sermon of Jesus walking on water. Whenever they called out to him, he says, "I am." They said, "Who is it?" "I am here." The Greek word is "ego," "I me," and that's what he says right here: is the one who's speaking to you, "ego," "I me," "I am," which needs to cue her mind to think. When was that last heard? as Moses was standing in the burning bush talking to God, and he asked God, who should I say sent me? God tells him, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. Ego, I me. And that's what Jesus just reveals Himself, that He is the Christ. It's through Him that you can find this living water, this eternal life. So what's the woman do? She's excited. His disciples return and the woman leaves. And she doesn't just leave, but she leaves the water jug there with her at the the well. Why does she leave that water jug there? She's found it. She's found living water. She's found the answer to her problems. She comes to Jesus in the daylight 
allowing Jesus to, to shine light on, on her past. And she wants to leave that way of life. She's not like Nicodemus, who we talked about last week, that comes in the middle of the night and is still clinging to the past. She's ready to leave this old life. And the disciples see what's going on, and they see that Jesus still is hungry, and they're wanting to eat, and they said, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. So Jesus is sitting there pretty quite, He's quite content. And the disciples, they've gone all the way into town. They got food. They brought it back for Him. And He's satisfied. They said, eat something. You don't even understand what food I'm, I have eaten, right? He speaks in that way because He wants them to know to hunger and thirst to do God's will. And what is God's will? To go spread that message to the people. People that you have struggles with. People that you're divided from. You have, a, you have an obligation to reach them. Jesus tells them, in verse 35, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. You're sitting and you're waiting and you're, you're allowing these past divisions to stop you from reaching others. And he's saying the time is right now for the harvest. And just then, what do you see? These Samaritans, they're coming back up, up the hill, up to the well, because they want to meet with Jesus. They've heard what this woman said and they believe this woman and they want to meet the Messiah. In verse 40 it says, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Why did these people believe? Because they listened to the words of our God. They listened to the words of Jesus. They heard the words of the woman, they heard her testimony, and then they went and they started listening for themselves. What a beautiful thing is we can go to the Word of God and we can learn more and more about who Christ is. We can learn more and more about who our God is through the Word and we can come to belief in Him through that. Just like Jesus shined a light on who this woman was, I know if you start reading through the Scriptures, you're going to find people that were in situations much like yours. And you're going to realize that God is speaking to you through these Scriptures and God is wanting to change your life just like He changed the life of this woman. Just like He changed the life of all these Samaritans. And then, Jesus now heads out of town. He goes back to Cana, back where He changed water into wine two weeks ago when we talked about that. And it seems at first like this is a little bit different of a story. But this story actually has a great connection. In verse 47 it says, When this man heard that Jesus came from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come and heal his son. His son was in Capernaum. A pretty good travel on the other side of the lake from where, where Jesus was in Cana. And he wants Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus said to him, and Jesus says this often, says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
But the official said to him, Sir, come before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As Jesus goes back, this man, the biggest problem in his life, his biggest issue right now, is he's worried about his son. And he made this trip to go to Cana to talk to Jesus so that his son would be healed. And Jesus says, you only believe if you see these wonderful signs that I do. You need to believe in something more, something better. You need to believe in the words of God. And what was incredible about this is the man doesn't have to see a sign. He believes and he heads home. You see, sometimes we're not going to be able to see these signs. We're praying to God. We want Him to change our life. and We want to put trust in Him, but He sometimes tells us answers we don't want to hear. And He says, go home. Trust me. Things will be okay. And sometimes we got to walk home. And maybe that home isn't here on this earth. Maybe that home is one day in heaven that we're going to see that we were able to put our trust in God even because we didn't get to see the signs we wanted to see, but our belief is in something much greater than signs. Our belief is in a God that gives us living water that will change our life through His words. His life, His words to us can shed light on our own lives like the Samaritan woman, and it can change the way we've been living our life no matter what our past is. He's offering us this new life. He does that to the woman. He does that to the Samaritans. And sometimes we have to live this life like the, like the official from Capernaum and we have to say, trust me as you're making your journey home. Might not be on this side of heaven that we get to see that, but we have to trust in God that He's going to take care of us. That He's going to give us this eternal life. That He's going to give us this hope. And so that's the message that John wants us to know is we don't always have to see it to believe it. But we do have to get to know the Savior. And you can know the Savior today. You can have those living waters today. He offers it to anyone who asks Him. You can be baptized into His name. You can be raised with Him and receive this eternal life. Or if you're just having struggles with your belief in Him or with your... your uh, how you deal with other people. He wants you to come to Him and He wants you to break down those barriers so that everyone can have a relationship with our Savior. If you have any need, please come while we stand and sing.